welcome to Voices of Baby Loss, presented by me, Caroline Verdon. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and Jen Coates, who is the Director of Bereavement Support and Volunteering at SANS. SANS is a UK-based charity whose purpose is to save babies' lives and support bereaved families. We also aim to give a voice to parents who've been touched by pregnancy and baby loss. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at SANS Charity, and on Twitter, at SANS UK which is also where you can get in touch with us if you'd like to comment on or get involved in the podcast. We are both touched by baby loss and so this topic is really close to our hearts. Coming up on this week's episode. And there was a line manager turned up who had no experience of this at all but just wanted to listen to hear what was on offer and what was happening so he could help someone in his team. No one spoke to me, like no one mentioned it and I remember colleagues around me just all kind of ignoring me and talking about work. So welcome. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode on bereavement in the workplace. It's it's a tricky situation trying to return to to work because I think for me what I really noticed is life goes on, doesn't it? And as your whole world is crumbling and falling apart, everybody else is just continuing as they always have and it's really hard to join them in that world when you feel so empty. Yeah. Yeah, that really surreal feeling early on when you look out of the window and you see everybody just carrying on as if the world is normal. And it's such a weird feeling, isn't it? I remember it so vividly, you know, people going past and somebody delivering milk. And uh, yeah, it was just, why are they doing this? It's really hard. So the thought of going back to work, and some people obviously don't have a choice and have to go back to work really quickly. Mm. Um, It just unimaginably hard. And that dilemma of you know, do you tell people? Do you not tell people? Do you get someone else to tell them? Do you sit everybody down when you get there? Which I think is a very brave thing to do. It's one of those situations, isn't it, where there's no right answer. But hopefully this episode will just give you some tools, give you some options and give you that sort of strength that you need if you're returning to work to be able to ask for what you need. And if you're an employer or a colleague give you the information that you need in order to make that return to work as easy as possible for that person because it's it can't be easy for for staff and colleagues it's hard isn't it when something happens and you don't know what to say and ultimately you end up ignoring people quite often because you're so afraid of saying the wrong thing and that doesn't help so hopefully by the end of this episode you'll just feel armed with more information and feel more confident in how you're going to make that next step forward. Definitely. Claire comes up with some great top tips, doesn't she, for employers and managers. So Claire Wogan is Head of Training and Education at SANS. How the Bereavement in the Workplace package came about was, obviously at SANS we work a lot with bereaved parents and we do a lot of research and listen to the impact that their loss, their pregnancy loss or baby death has had on them. Um, and in 2018, we carried out a survey with bereaved parents and we specifically asked them about their impact on their workplace. And what we found was there were various different challenges. And 50% didn't feel supported by their employer. 49% of employers didn't discuss entitlements to pay and leave with staff. 40% were not offered additional time away from work. And 43% reported that no one talked to them about their baby when they returned to work. Gosh, those numbers are awful. Yeah. 
I think when we kind of looked at the research and we looked at the response, we realized that we, we as SANS needed to do something. We needed to help employers support parents in the workplace because it was having, well, is and was having a significant impact when they're at work. So this was 2018. So we started to think about how we could change things and help in the workplace. And we started to work more closely with employers and listened to, I guess, the other side. And as kind of that research shows, parents felt unsupported, but people didn't discuss entitlements. They weren't talking to them about what happened or what they were entitled to. And this, again, relates back to people just aren't comfortable, even if it was kind of an HR standard conversation around this is what you're entitled to. People were avoiding those conversations because of the subject matter, because baby loss is quite challenging and different, difficult subject. So what we recognized is what we needed to do is try and give line managers and employee employers the confidence to um, ask parents to work with parents and to create a really supportive workplace. Um, and it has had a huge difference. So we get a lot of feedback from line managers now who have been on our training, who do have more of an insight and even just some language. So our bereavement in the workplace package includes live training. So it's a workshop usually online, but can be face to face where Individuals can ask any questions that they like to our trainers. So our trainers are experienced bereavement specialists. So any worries or any concerns they have about supporting colleagues or about um, maybe a colleague is coming back to work and what do they do? What do they say? Then our training covers all of that. And there's a lot of discussion that goes on in our training as well. And then we have guidance available for line managers, particularly around how to support um, someone who is bereaved and also for colleagues as well. So how to support a friend or how to speak to a friend or ask a friend about their experience when they do come back to work. And included in that guidance is written correspondence. So it's not just verbal communication that people struggle with. Often, particularly when it comes to HR policy, it's often emails or written correspondence that have to be sent. Um, and sometimes these can be quite um, upsetting if the language isn't relevant or sometimes people again don't contact parents because they're unsure of what to say so included in our guidance are template policies template emails so an email that you can use maybe to contact parents initially after you find out that their baby's died just express your condolences but also to let them know that they're there when you're ready to talk about coming back to work a lot of parents tell us the huge difficulty is sharing the news with colleagues. So there's some template correspondence in there that line managers or the brief parent themselves can use to share the news with colleagues. Just some guidance information that hopefully will help people feel more confident to have conversations and to create a workplace that is more supportive. And I think one of the really valuable parts of the training is that opportunity to ask absolutely anything and for no question to be a silly question and really to kind of provide that safe space for people to make mistakes and and ask those questions that they're terrified of asking to check out whether they're okay to ask them in real life and I think that's such a valuable opportunity. So could any workplace could they contact Sands and say we have an employee who's recently bereaved or just bereaved and 
we don't we don't know how can we best support them can anybody contact you for that information yes yeah we have a kind of a package of resources available for workplaces and again it can often depend on the size of the organization or the needs of the organization um, and what hr policies they already have in place so we get contact from organizations as you say who maybe have a colleague who's off on maternity leave or paternity leave at the moment and they're due back after leave um, and their baby was stillborn or their baby died and then they contact us because they're they want to be able to offer a really supportive environment when they come back so often we will provide kind of small training workshops for colleagues and line managers and staff so that they feel comfortable and confident and know how to support someone when they come back on the other side of that we also have a lot of interest from organizations who want to kind of prepare for this as part of their staff well-being program make sure that they have the resources and the policies and the guidelines and the structure in place in case this does happen to any of their staff in the future so it's it's both sides and re- returning to work no matter at what point your baby was lost is hard what is your advice to to workplaces? What is the best way to enable parents to feel supported? So we talk about going back to work, but actually if you speak to anyone whose baby has died, they will say that there is no going back. Often parents will talk about before and after their baby life, so life before their baby died and life afterwards. And going back to work is often for many people the first step in leaving quite a safe bubble of friends and family and people who have been really supportive. It's the first step in maybe going back into the bigger world so their bubble is bigger. It can be quite daunting for parents. It can be quite challenging and both in terms of many parents will have to share and explain what's happened to them, what's happened to their baby, both because they need to explain to their employer that they were pregnant, that they are coming back from maternity leave maybe early or what happened to their baby. So things may have changed. They maybe want to extend or shorten maternity leave, paternity leave. The other big challenge that parents have when they leave kind of the safe bubble of friends and family and people who know and understand them is when you do share with colleagues who you maybe know but not so well on a personal level something so personal around if your your baby died or the circumstances of your baby's death it can be really isolating because often the person on the other end the person you're speaking to doesn't know what to say doesn't know how to respond and this can lead to a huge sense of isolation because Often most people will say nothing or avoid the subject, won't mention your baby, won't ask about your baby. And many parents will say, obviously, they feel the same love and pride in their baby as as any other parent. And the fact that people can't and won't acknowledge their baby can be quite painful. And it's the small things that make a big difference. So any advice to colleagues and to line managers is firstly to acknowledge that they've been through something extremely difficult and probably traumatic that they are parents just because you may not have met their baby or their baby isn't here doesn't mean that they don't feel like a mother or they don't feel like a father that they aren't parents just because it's a parenthood that you don't recognize and then there are some practical things things that you would like to think you would naturally do with any bereavement but sometimes people because There are very few shared memories when a baby dies. If an adult dies, 
if it's a, a spouse or a parent or a friend or a family member, we would naturally express compassion. So say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for your love, I'm sorry for what happened. If you did know them, you may make a comment about them. You may do the practical things like maybe send a card to the funeral, ask about when the funeral is, and those kind of practical things that we do around bereavement. And often those things don't happen when a baby dies because people are unsure, people are unsure what to do and whether it's the correct thing to do because they have no concept of the baby because they've never met this baby. But all of those things are really relevant and really still very important for, for many, many bereaved parents. So it's often the small things. And it takes some confidence because baby loss and pregnancy loss is quite still quite a taboo subject. Many people don't have the language, don't have the words to be able to ask about a baby, maybe ask the baby's name. So it's simple things like if you hear that your colleague's baby has died, the first thing maybe is to express compassion, say, I'm sorry. Um, what was your baby's name? Did your baby have a name? Just recognising that that baby is important to them, that baby is part of their family and recognising their parenthood. That's such a powerful phrase that you said earlier, Claire, um, just because it's a parenthood that you don't recognise. It's just struck me as being a really powerful thing to say. If you speak to many bereaved parents, they will talk to you how they will all use different language. I think that's the other thing about baby loss, which makes it complicated. All bereaved parents are different and they parent in different ways and they may not even see it as parenting, but the way that they remember or they acknowledge or they honour their baby or they're building a legacy for their baby. There's lots of different language around it, but if you listen to parents and see how they honour their baby or remember their baby, it is a form of parenting. It's just a different to what many people do. And I think my experience of returning to work was that there was kind of an expectation. Perhaps there was some understanding in the first week or two that, oh, she might be a bit wobbly. But then after that point, there was an expectation that, well, just, just crack on as you always did. Almost like I'd been away to have my appendix out or something like that. And that was really hard, that element of the return to work that that kind of expectation that everything was the same and nothing had happened. Yeah, I think people underestimate the impact of grief. Grief can have physical, a physical impact on individuals. And people think grief is a time of mourning and sadness, but it's not necessarily it. Sometimes the physical elements of, it can impact work. Grief can bring things like memory loss or feeling disorientated. So lack of sleep, lack of appetite, which obviously can all have an impact on work and how you perform and how you experience at work. Not everyone and not all the time. Often we talk about the idea of puddle jumping. So a parent may be okay and capable and quite productive one minute or one day or one hour, but then the next minute or the next day or the next hour, they're, they're struggling. And there is no time limit on grief either. Um, like you say, a lot, often people at the beginning, maybe they do express compassion and expect you to be upset or teary or crying, but then kind of, like you say, get over it and kind of crack on with work. But baby loss has a lifelong impact on people and it does impact people's lives in different ways. And for the rest of their life, they will, they will be grieving and they will have that loss and it will impact different ways, um, especially at work. And I mean, I suppose from an employer's perspective 
you know, you employ people because you want somebody to fire on all cylinders and to do the job and to crack on. And, um, you know, you want to get your money's worth. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Um, how can you make sure that you achieve that, but whilst also looking after the well-being of your staff? For most employers, you're right. Probably they have work to do. We have a job to do and the staff are there to do that job. But actually, if the staff aren't being looked after, then they can't do their job. If staff are properly looked after, if they're properly supported, then they feel they are more likely to be back at work, more likely to be productive because they know they're working in an organisation that is supportive. We hear from a lot of bereaved parents who have really struggled at work and have had to take sick leave or had to leave work or had to take time away from work because they aren't properly supported in the workplace. And they often do say, if my employer would just be flexible and let me work from home sometimes or let me take a leave early if I needed to or let me do this and that, I would probably be able to get back to kind of full capacity sooner. And then on the other side of things, if a bereaved parent is being properly supported, it does have a positive impact on their colleagues as well, because those colleagues can see that they're working for an employer that is supportive and it does care about its staff. Staff morale really does make a big difference to productivity. It means people are engaged and people want to work for you rather than they have to work for you. And actually that shift does make a huge, huge difference. We hear from so many bereaved parents who are properly supported at work and what a positive impact it's had on them and their relationship with their line manager or their relationship with their organisation. And they do feel quite loyal to their organisation because they were supported so well. Um, And then obviously we hear the opposite when people aren't particularly supported at work. So what does good support look like? Good support starts with what you might think of kind of the generic kind of boring elements. It starts with policy and guidance. So ideally all organisations would have a baby loss policy. All organisations will have a maternity leave and a paternity leave policy, which obviously is applicable if a baby is stillborn or dies after birth. But often these policies have quite insensitive language if the baby dies. They were written for babies, for families, for parents if their baby lives, if their baby is alive. So if a baby dies, often the language in there is can be very upsetting for someone because remember someone reading this policy is probably quite recently bereaved, probably only days or weeks since their baby died. So they're very much in the depths of grief and hearing a reading language that refers to a live baby and a kind of unhappy event can be quite upsetting. So we'd always recommend a separate baby loss policy, which includes the elements of statutory leave, but also includes elements of miscarriages leave as well. So acknowledging and recognising that parents whose babies die before 24 weeks gestation also require the support in terms of flexibility and paid leave. And the policy should also include things around support as well. So things like flexible working, ensure that parents don't feel so much pressure when they first come back. So they have the time and the space to be able to to grieve and process as well as trying to get back into work mode, as well as learning to live with their grief and to process what's happened to them and their baby. Often baby loss comes as a as a shock. So policy is great. But without the guidelines for line managers to implement the policy, um, then the policy is quite um, limited. 
And when we talk about guidelines, it's things around language. So baby loss and pregnancy loss includes lots of different experiences. So it can include miscarriage, stillbirth, neonatal death, accidental death, termination for medical reasons. And all of these elements have kind of different language around them. So just helping line managers understand the language around baby loss because often because baby loss isn't really spoken about so much in our communities or in society we often don't have the right language so including language in guidance which will help give line managers the confidence to implement a policy for policies in place. Within the bereavement support services team we hear parents frustrations and upset around returning to work and employers who maybe just don't think about their responses, really. One of those examples is not giving parents time off for funerals and for preparation and things. Certainly, I remember a bereaved mum ringing absolutely distraught because her partner's employer wouldn't give him time off for for the funeral for for their baby. And whether that was just... And maybe that was just ignorance about the I don't know. It's it's very hard to think that somebody couldn't imagine why that was important um, or whether it's because they were a tiny organisation and it's very difficult for small employers, you know, to, to give people time off. But I mean, it's very shocking and it's certainly not the only example that we've heard. But, you know, Claire has given us so many examples of how tiny things make a massive difference and giving somebody days off uh, at the beginning to make plans and and have the funeral is only going to benefit sort of employee relations and well-being going forward and the way that they handle their bereavement longer term is that a one-off or do you have those conversations frequently Claire's nodding I mean I think um we they're not that frequent anymore but they do still happen because they don't know the baby and haven't met the baby they have no concepts of how important that baby is and the fact that the parents have and know that baby just because they haven't. It's why the work is so important, really, really important. And it's wider than just workplace policy. I was just reflecting on our conversation recently with Shay about feeling the feelings and how helpful that is to help you get through the challenging time that you're having. If you're having to put on a completely different face at work, that's going to slow down that process and make it really difficult. And that the stronger the mask you put on at work, the harder it's going to be to process those feelings and the less productive you're going to be. So to have colleagues that just acknowledge that you might not be on top form is incredibly helpful on a day-to-day basis or even an hour-to-hour basis. Mm. And if you can just be open and say, look, today is a really bad day, but I'm going to do this, this and this. And if I don't manage it, I'll you know, come back and start again tomorrow. It's really helpful. I think that's where I found, where I really struggled because at the time I was, I was working in breakfast radio and there is no room for anything other than everything's amazing. Um, and I would do that because that's what I had to do to get myself, you know, that that was my job for those three hours. I would be, everything's amazing, but nobody acknowledged because I didn't really allow them to, but nobody acknowledged that for, for a long period of time, that was complete fakery. And actually the second that microphone went off, um, and I got to be myself, I was a very different person. But the expectations, because I sounded so upbeat and so good, was that, well, everything's fine, let's crack on. Um, and I think that's that was was 
really difficult. And for me, that was a bit of a learning curve as well of um, being honest. And sometimes people can't support you in the way that you need to be supported if if you're not being honest with how you are feeling. That environment has to be safe to be honest. And if that environment isn't safe, then you can't be honest, you know it's not necessarily the environment it's individual people or individual colleagues that make a huge difference so my first day back at work after a maternity leave my boss was actually not there he wasn't in the office that day which I didn't actually before I went back I didn't think it would be an issue but as soon as I got there no one spoke to me like no one mentioned it and I remember colleagues around me just all kind of ignoring me and talking about work. So I just kind of cracked on with work and for as long as I could until lunchtime. And then at lunchtime, I went for a walk and I ended up in a cafe and I was just crying and crying and crying because I felt like I just held it in for so long. And everyone was just ignoring that this huge thing had happened to me, but no one had acknowledged it. Um, but then the next day, my boss was at work. So my line manager was back in and he, the first thing he did was say, how are you doing? How are things going? And actually having him just one person around who actually asked made a huge, huge difference. And then we had a chat about how it went the day before and it wasn't great. And we came up with kind of a a way that maybe I could share with colleagues so that people understood that they could ask me anything if they wanted to, or they needed to. And actually it did help. So in our team meeting, I just said what had happened, that Alice had died and that I want to talk or I'm happy to talk about her. And if you want to, then please do kind of ask me questions or please don't ignore me was my kind of key message to the team meeting. And it did make a big difference. So after that, a couple of colleagues did come over then and then they said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about what happened. I think and it made me realize that the day before no one knew what to say. And it was only when I said it's okay to say something that people did, even colleagues that I didn't really know very well came over and said, oh, I'm sorry. And if you want to go for a walk or if you want to go for a chat, then. Um, So there is certainly a fear that people don't, people do care, but people often don't know how to show that they care, particularly around baby loss, which I think is why SANS is so important and why the work that we do is so important because we passionately want to help people to have the right words and to feel confident to speak to a neighbor or speak to a colleague at work. Um, we don't have to have what we call bereavement support conversations where we talk about, you know, a traumatic experience and try and help them through it, but actually just acknowledging what happened and asking them and how they're doing it. If there is anything you can do is often and acknowledging and recognizing the baby is often, um, it's often all that's needed, depending on the relationship you have with, with the other people. And it's creating that safe environment as well, isn't it? Because, you know, to be able to phone Sans and say, oh my goodness, I don't know what words to use. I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Allows that acknowledgement and allows you to, to be truthful in, in how I want to support, but I'm just not sure how. So that actually when you do get that opportunity to talk to your colleague, you've got that knowledge and you've got that bit more information that you you feel powerful. You have that ability to have that conversation rather than feeling completely lost and as you say, just ignore them because you don't want to make things worse. You don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. A lot of the training we do with workplaces is we it's focused on, you know, practice, policy, procedure, communication. But all of the discussions we have with colleagues is 
what do I say if this happens? What do I do here? What should I do there? What's the right thing for me to say here? It's definitely a fear and it's something that we're working hard to try and give people the confidence and, and the knowledge and the insight to have these conversations. And what, what are some of the, you know, the questions and the answers to that? When someone's feeling what we consider negative emotions, so if they're feeling sad or upset, what we want to do naturally is to help We want to bring them out of their sadness or out of their upsetness. And often this isn't possible. When a baby died, as you said, you do need to have the time and space to feel feelings. So allowing people the time and space to feel feelings and trying not to use phrases which come from a really good place. So often we'll hear phrases such as maybe it was meant to be. Again, it comes from a place where you're trying to help people feel better, but actually they can be quite upsetting. And anything with at least, so at least you didn't get to know him or her properly, at least you can have more children. Um, And those kind of at least phrases, again, can really diminish how someone actually feels because assuming that someone can have more children is quite a big assumption. But also, as anyone knows, one child doesn't replace another. So anyone who has more than one child will be able to say that one child doesn't replace another. So even though these kind of phrases come from a a good place, they actually can be quite distressing for anyone who's been through baby loss. What we try and recommend is using more phrases which allow people to feel what they feel, but also know that you're there for them if you need them. And firstly, acknowledging what's happened and acknowledging them and their baby and their parenthood. So, for example, something like, I'm so sorry to hear about what happened. Um, I don't know what to say, but I wanted to say something is probably better than saying nothing at all. And if you don't know their baby's name, then then ask. So I'm sorry to hear about what happened. Uh, What was your baby's name? It's a really gentle, nice way of acknowledging what happened Um, and acknowledging how important that baby is to them. When it comes to the workplace, again, being really flexible and listening to what they need. So if they know they're in a supportive environment, then maybe they will feel more comfortable to be able to share what they need in terms of flexibility. So phrases such as, do what's right for you, we're here to support you. When you do go back to work, it can be quite overwhelming And sometimes parents don't recognise overwhelm until it's too late. Um, But sometimes line managers or colleagues just saying things like take one day at a time, take one step at a time, take one meeting at a time, just giving kind of parents permission to be able to do what's right for them really does have, have a big impact. And making sure that support information is available. So Again, in a professional workplace or in the workplace, people often do put on kind of a professional mask. Maybe they don't want to or need to kind of talk at work, but signposting to information such as SANS or other organisations so that they know that there is support available to them if they need to. And just be really, really flexible. As I mentioned earlier, grief is extremely unpredictable. And it will change over time. So the needs that parents have will change over time as well. And sometimes parents may change their minds. So maybe they do need flexible working or they do need um, time off for appointments and things. But over time, gradually, this might change. So just being very kind of flexible and giving parents the time and space that they need really does have a huge impact. 
So Jen and I were speaking earlier in the week. So a lot of the work we do is with healthcare professionals. And I think there is a huge healthcare professionals that work in hospitals. So people that work in maternity services, neonatal care or early pregnancy. And I think there is often a perception that bereavement support, bereavement care is the responsibility of those people. But actually, increasingly, I'd say people are, we are recognizing that actually bereavement care and support is relevant to not just staff based in hospitals, it's relevant to us all. Anyone who those bereaved parents are coming into contact with has a requirement for kind of learning and insight and training. So over the last probably, over the last year, we've had more people ask us for training specifically around how to talk to bereaved parents, how to include bereaved parents in their services from community-based professionals. So from um, social services, from health visiting, from a lot of what we think of parenting organizations and parenting charities who are starting to recognize that baby loss affects a lot of people and they are working with parents who maybe have gone on to have other children and maybe they're at school or play school but actually they are still grieving and they still they will have a baby who or a child who isn't with them who is part of their family so we're getting more requests from community-based professionals around what is baby loss and how can we kind of understand it and how can we work with brief parents not necessarily to offer direct support but just enough insight to know what to say and how to say it and how to ask about their experience or how to acknowledge in schools for example so often if parents go on to have other children those children will be in schools and maybe they are talking about their brother or sister who's died and that brings challenges in the classroom because other children may not have experienced or have a concept of death and then how do teachers kind of support the class and that child and kind of understand the like again it's a lot around language and insight and understanding individual families and how they work um, and again about having the right words and finding the right words and having the confidence to be able to understand how brief parents are in all areas of life and actually often baby loss will impact a lot of different areas of life so just having some understanding and some insight into how brief parents live um that's so positive that's so amazing that so many other organizations are coming forward it's taken a long time and i think we're a long way from breaking what we think of as the taboo but certainly in certain areas there are um i think because of the strength of brief parents and because i would say i think bereavement care in hospitals it's not perfect, but it's definitely getting better. I think because bereaved parents who have really good care from when their baby died from the healthcare professionals are feeling more empowered when they go out into the communities and feeling like they understand their grief, they understand their loss and they can quite communicate it because they've been so well supported by specialists, which means it is having an impact on on the workplace and on schools and on, you know, social community groups. And people are starting to talk more and more about baby loss, which means that people are aware that they were in their friendship group or in their, um, you know, the mums at the school gate that someone somewhere has been impacted by this. 
it's such a positive thing to think that people are coming forward and saying, please, can we have this training? And like you said, you know, it's going to take a long time, isn't it, for things to properly filter down and filter out and um, that taboo to end. But it's um, it's really heartwarming to think that change is happening. I think sometimes people think working at SANS must be quite upsetting and quite challenging. We do see a lot of upsetting things and obviously we hear a lot of um, bad practice, but there is definitely hope and there are there is more awareness and more professionals who want to make sure that they're doing the best that they can and not just professionals, colleagues and friends and family members as well and community groups and faith groups. So it will take time, but I think we can make a huge difference. It just evolves over time. I think for me, hearing about the positives that are coming out of the workplace at the moment is something that's really heartening, you know, to think that other people will have a better experience than those of us who have gone before is incredible. Um, One of the people we wanted to speak to about this is Nicola Evans. Now, she works for NatWest Group as a senior auditor in internal audits, and she's also the co-chair of the Fertility and Loss Employee-Led Network. And SANS and NatWest have had a very positive relationship for a number of years now, haven't they? They've worked really hard to make things as easy as it possibly can be for employees returning to work after pregnancy loss or the death of a baby. You know, from HR policies through to um, hosting employee events, um, forum where employees can listen to other employees' stories and have a question and answer session, but just demonstrating that is a safe place for employees to be whole people, I guess, and to have these life experiences and acknowledging those um, and also giving people very concrete ways of making things easier in terms of HR policy and talking to colleagues and having these events. So when we spoke to Nikki, we started off by asking her about her own experience of baby loss. So uh, 21 years ago now, it was August the 6th, and Jane was born prematurely. And we were told at the time, because she was premature, there was nothing they could do for her. So she sadly passed away in her dad's arms, so like hours later. Um, at the time when it happened to me, there was no support, real support in the workplace at all. I was kind of like sent home from the hospital without my baby, not realising that I would still be going through all the same kind of physical and emotional things that any of the other mothers on the ward had. Um, I was kind of like just left with the midwife. Here's a few leaflets on your go. And that was it. So when I started working for, um, when I joined my team at RBS, NatWest, um, there was a sort of like a group, an employee-led network set up called Fertility and Loss network and I just so happened to be speaking to one of my colleagues um, who said do you know where you were on 9-11 I know I'm going around in circles here a little bit but he said do you know where you were on 9-11 and I went yes I was actually there and they went oh right okay how were you there because we lost Jane on the 6th of August and my brother-in-law who lives in Philadelphia out of kindness and compassion I suppose sent us tickets to go and visit him just to try and take us out of the so like out of the atmosphere and away from what was happening at home in our personal lives. Um, and it just so happened that we were on a train on my way into New York, basically saw everything unfold and came back. So apart from the trauma of losing Jane a month earlier, we then got embroiled in that. So from that point, my colleague said, 
you need to speak to the co-chair of the Fertility and Loss Network. It's a great support network. You'll be able to help others in the same position. You'll get support yourself. And this was something I sort of like ran into with open arms because it was something I hadn't had for the best part of what, that was four years ago now, so the best part of sort of like 17 years. I hadn't had that kind of connection with anybody at work. Um, felt very much alone in the workspace. So I took on the role of comms lead in the Fertility and Loss Network and thought this was absolutely brilliant. And then last year, about 18 months ago, I then took on the role of co-chair because it's such a passion that I'm trying to help and support others going through something similar to what I had when there was no support out there. And I, I mean, I've never worked for a sort of a gigantic organisation and obviously NatWest Group is enormous. Mm-hmm. Um could you tell me like, what do these these networking groups do? What's their role? What's their purpose? So the purpose is to be the voice of the employee. So there's, there's various different networks across the group. There's a Enable network, which is to do with disability in work. There's a one that's called Aspire, which is for women who want to get um, a better standing in the workplace. So for us, the Fertility and Loss Network, it's a pretty niche one because you don't really want to join that club, but it's there for people who do need us and have and have that. So we are the voice of the employee who would like to try and enforce policy changes or try and get campaigns going to raise awareness, that kind of thing. So what we do is every year with SANS, certainly for the last three years with SANS, we have um, partnered with them for Baby Loss Awareness Week, which has been a huge success for the last three years. This year we've created evergreen content with them, so that's going to be available rather than it just being available for that one particular week. It's going to be available all year round. It just gives people, it gives the employees the voice of just... How can we help their work and be better with some of our policies? And how can we offer support? It's a great resource for line managers as well, because not every line manager knows how to deal with this, with their direct reports. Um, and it's a good place for them to go to, to right? Where do you, where can we go to get this support? Who can help us with this? We've off, we're going to start and offer like a mentoring relationship as well with some of our employees and some of our members so if they want to just come and personally speak to us then they can it's a safe space i've just recently started doing bereavement cafes as well so whereby i'm going to do one of those once a quarter so it's different touch points through the year so christmas mother's day father's day and then in october um and that'll be where people can just come together in a safe space talk about their bereavement if they want to or just simply listen we did a one yesterday, actually, and there was a line manager turned up who had no experience of this at all, but just wanted to listen to hear what was on offer and what was happening so he could help someone in his team, which I thought was really nice. And there was also someone in his family going through something similar, and it was just giving him ideas of what he could do and how he could personally help. It gives that human touch to something so quite, something quite awful. It's quite common albeit when you're going through it yourself you feel as if it's you're the only person in the world going through it and there's nobody else gone through it I know I wasn't the first and I certainly won't be the last I know that but at the time and because everybody's experience is different then everybody handles everything differently there's not one prescriptive way of dealing with it so 
the Fertility and Loss Network, to me, provides that voice to those employees going through that affecting change, just the different support that they need. We offer support circles every month on different topics. So again, that's another safe space. It's not recorded or anything, so you can't listen back to it. It's just completely anonymous where people can just come in, listen and speak about their experience. Um, yesterday, for example, one of our committee members went down to Parliament to speak to Nikki Aitken, the MP, who was trying to drive a fertility um, policy through in the workplaces. So we're sort of like getting involved in that side as well a little bit more. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's that's huge. Yeah. Just the amount of positive work that's being done that will have such huge repercussions. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard returning to work. It's going mm -hmm. to be hard returning to work with the best possible support network that, that is available. So it must be really comforting to be able to return to work and to know that Right, actually, there are people there who'll understand if, you know, you've had a meltdown because yeah. you've seen an advert online for something that's just tr triggered a memory and you need a few minutes. To have that support and that group of people who will understand and be able to support, you know, be able to talk to line managers and things like that on your behalf is huge. Yeah. I mean, when I first went back to work, um, I worked for a different company at the time. It was still a bank, so it was still quite a big corporate space. Um, my manager at the time was really kind. But what I did was, before I went to work, and it was the only way I knew how to deal with it, I wrote a letter to my colleagues that I worked directly with, explained exactly what had happened, and basically told my story in that letter. And at the end of it said, please don't worry, come and speak to me if you want. I won't, you know, because I didn't want, them feeling awkward by me turning up to work and I didn't want to put them under some kind of strange pressure that thought well I can't really talk to her because of what's happened I don't know what's happened so they they knew that when I was coming back they knew the whole picture they had the full story and they could then quite comfortably sort of like speak to me about it rather than being worried or shy because like you say there's this huge stigma about talking about it and I think that's what part of the Fertility and Loss Network and the work that we do with SANS helps with it, helps bring that out into the forefront and brings, you know, helps people start and talk about it and get it out there. There's the guidance there for helping the manager help that person come back to work as well. Because you've not just got the actual person coming back to work, it's the impact on the partner as well. And then when you're back at work and you're trying to get on with your day job, you're obviously still then thinking about your partner as well. So that can all have a knock-on effect. But if everybody's aware and if people have got access to this information, then it's a lot easier and a lot more comfortable. And how much of a difference do you think it makes, you know, like on an individual level to be able to have that support in the workplace? I think it's quite invaluable. I was at, I was at a, it's trying to raise the awareness for it as well and making sure that people know that we're there. So things like when we've done the SANS events in the past and online, we've been approached by other companies to ask how to set them up. How So they wanted to um, set up a network like ours. So we've then gone out to them and said, this is how we did it. And we've now got a, a collaboration call once a quarter with different external companies as well, just sharing best practice and seeing how they're getting on with theirs and 
what they can glean from us. So that's really positive. Um, and I think raising awareness within the bank itself is quite difficult because once people know about us, it's brilliant and people love it that the, when they know that we're there. So it's trying to get that out there because we're not the kind of network, employee-led network that you can have a bake sale for or bang a drum. It's not, you know, we don't have a party. It's not, you know, you don't have yeah. a charity raising event. You're only a member of that network because you kind of have to be. But we're now starting to get a lot of line managers who, like I said, haven't had that experience, but are just wanting to know how to help people. So I think for the employee, knowing that we're there is, is a great comfort. Nikki, thank you so much for talking to us and for explaining all of the work that is, is going on across NatWest Group in, in terms of creating this incredible network. Um, we like to end each of our episodes by asking our guests for their hopes for the future. So we just wondered, what are your hopes? My blue sky think and hope for the future is this would never ever happen to anybody full stop, unfortunately. We live in the real world and we know that's not the case. So I think my hope for the future would be that every every employer would consider doing something like this for their employees, having the support network there, um, introducing things like bereavement in the workplace, making sure that's the trainings there for staff and for line managers, and it would become part of the corporate framework to have that included. I would also like to thank any new managers who came on board that was part of that initial induction and initial training. And I think that would be my, my dream is that you would have that included. Voices of Baby Loss is an under-the-mast creative audio production.